retired detective, Sergeant Darren Birch, author of Twisted But True, escorts you through a zone, the Badge Zone, where stories from those behind the badge range from the bizarre to the supernatural. Welcome to a place of strange happenings, as you're about to enter the Badge Zone. I love that iconic tune. Me uh, too. Yeah, I was a big Fox Mulder fan. Uh, loved X Files. Me and my son watched every episode. I ended up getting all the DVDs. <laughs> I, I don't. I've never seen anything out there. I don't. I'm not that guy. I don't know if there's anything out there. But Dude, I believe you've never. I have not. Have you? Uh, yes, I have. See, and our guests most certainly have. In fact, I will say this about Phoenix, where we, uh, you know, we have our show. Our uh, headquarters here based in phoenix arizona many people have seen in fact they call it the phoenix lights yes. and many police officers have seen it and we have as a guest a 911 dispatcher who was working that night not only was she working that night she saw it that night Ooh. i know and then we also have a filmmaker extraordinaire who has a documentary about the phoenix lights it's called the uh, phoenix lights confession of a 911 operator so appropriate uh so we're going to talk to that filmmaker as well uh we got a great show i love this show darren i know it's so exciting because it's so different and off the beaten path you know uh, last week we had an officer who died and came back to life after what was it something like 16 minutes or something? 16 minutes yeah crazy and then before that uh, a code enforcement officer who Set a tragic story, tragic story, uh, but then ultimately inspirational, really. In Absolutely. Terms of, of and, you know, through those through those trying times, we always end up with something inspiring because something beautiful comes out of tragedy. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I absolutely believe it. Uh, many of the quotes of uh, Aurelius. Um, and I love movies, so I'm able to kind of tap into my <laughs> Fox Mulder. Uh, and by the way, uh, if you mentioned, because I talk a little bit about movies and stuff in my, my books, and you can get my book for free if you go to officerprivacy.com, mention The Bad Zone, you get my book. And more importantly, you get that sense of of safety on the internet and it's not just for police officers officer mm -mm. privacy is controlled by a police officer and retired police officers everyone that handles your sense of information is either law enforcement current law enforcement or retired law enforcement to include the owner uh pete james who we know so well um he's a retired lieutenant with uh california sheriff department so well this is good for everyone because real estate agents can use this to protect themselves you have lawyers you have teachers they can protect themselves Today, by using everybody, this. Yeah, right? My everybody. daughter, right? You know, pretty girls out there need yes. that protection as yeah. well because, yeah, the doxing and stalking, it it's all starts with the internet today. So, uh, again, officerprivacy.com, check it out. Uh, mention the badge zone and you get a free book. And now we're going to go to commercial break. Uh, but again, one of my favorite all time films. If everything's ready here on the dark side of the moon, play the pipe tones. You're listening to The Badge Zone. We'll be back right after this. If you like The Badge Zone, you'll love their books, starting with Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories. 
that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's twisted but true books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Zone books should be on everybody's top 10 reading lists. And now, back to the Badge Zone. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I am delighted to talk to our next guest, who I've known for a while now. We've had her on the Badge Boys several times. Uh, she is a, a dispatcher, 911 operator, uh, a long career doing that. Now she's retired, and she's in a new documentary. Uh, again, I call the uh, I call <laughs> the filmmaker calls it <laughs> the Phoenix Lights: Confession of a 911 Operator. Uh, we have Elizabeth Compton in studio. Uh, Elizabeth, welcome back to the studio and now the Badge Zone. Well, thank you for inviting me back. You're a very brave man. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I absolutely love talking to you about so many funny things. This particular topic wasn't funny when it occurred, was it? No, and it's still not funny to me. Tell me about it. Tell me about that day. Now, I'll, I'll set the setting a little bit. You're a, uh, a dispatcher, uh, a smaller department in uh, the greater Phoenix metropolitan area. It was uh, 1997. Was that right? March 13, 1997. Thank you. you okay. don't forget details like you that. You take it from there. Okay. Well, that particular night, um, of course, March 13, that's the night everybody apparently was seeing the Phoenix lights. I knew nothing about it. I was working. <laughs> And I was inside, and uh, that particular night, everyone was busy. All of the cops had prisoners. So every single one of them, thank God for me, they were all busy booking prisoners at the District 3 jail. So they were inside. And I took a minute to step out the back door because I needed time to unwind. And I, and uh, at that particular place, it, the door opened out to the west. You could see the White Tank Mountains. And uh, there was a church just before it, you know, a beautiful white cross, and I'd go out there because it would just help me relax. Well, that particular night, as I looked out the door, I saw five lights in what I thought was formation. And at first, I was thinking it was fighter jets, but as I told the filmmaker, they were going much too slow to be fighter jets, and I realized that, and then I'm thinking maybe helicopters, but the lights were too perfect you know, because helicopters have that little bounce. And this is before the days of drones. So this, it was just odd. It was too far away to even be drones, even, you know. But, yeah, I couldn't figure it out. But there was just something about them. They were pretty. I couldn't stop looking at them. And it didn't hit me until later. But there was absolute silence all you, over the place. Yeah, you mentioned that the phone rang, and that kind of broke the, the silence, if you will. And that's when you realized it was completely quiet. Which is unusual for that part of, of uh, the greater Phoenix area. That's the desert area, kind of. Especially, yeah. And there was no crickets chirping. There was no coyotes. There was no dogs barking. There was no traffic. There was absolute silence. And I, it, I didn't realize it. I did, could, could not stop looking at those lights. But then the phone rang, 
uh, inside, which really startled me because, of course, I had it turned up as loud as it could go. And it uh, kind of jolted me back. And so I went inside, answered the phone. It was one of my officers, and he was calling for his time. So I was like, oh, hello, officer. Uh, your start time, your arrest time on scene. Okay, here's your report number. Is that all you need? Okay, bye. And I wanted to hurry back to the door. But when I got to the door, they were gone. And that's when I realized, okay, there's bugs buzzing out there. There's crickets. And now there's, you have sound. You have the natural wilderness sounds, if yeah, you will, and the desert sounds of the desert. And it was then I got scared. Let me ask you this. How far away do you think there were? Could you even give a distance? Uh, or was it something where you couldn't even provide a distance? They looked to me to be directly over the White Tank Mountain from Youngtown. And Youngtown was, um, well, the road I was looking out at was 113th Avenue. So if that gives you any idea on distance. And, and, and I was also thinking maybe it had something to do with Luke Air Force Base. And that was another thing, too. The next day when I had heard about the lights, everyone had said they were going uh, south to north. These were coming north to south. As if that might have been the first trip of their le- or the first leg of their journey could have been with you first, could have, or maybe the latter. But either way. Or maybe a <coughs> different one entirely. I yeah, don't know. and again. When they hit the area of Phoenix, that's when we had all these calls and all this information. But before we go to the uh, filmmaker on this documentary, Phoenix Lights, uh, Confession of a 911 Operator, I want to kind of ask you about the distance between the lights and also, did you see any type of form? Um, because we always say it's the Phoenix Lights opposed to the Phoenix UFO, this massive with, you know, we, we always talk to, about it as the lights, and I don't, again, I wasn't there. I, I, I was in Phoenix, but I was probably asleep from the third shift uh, sleepover. Um, was there any type of uh, cloud cover? Describe the clarity of what you, where you were at. Well, from where I was looking, it was an absolutely clear sky. And at first, like I said, I thought they were in formation, and then as I'm watching closer, it seemed to me like they were somehow connected okay so i i couldn't tell you if it was like just like two bars going like in a v-shape or if there was anything in between but when i was watching them i know i did not want to stop watching them and i can't explain that and when and when you say lights was it a certain color which is just white light ambient they light? were very very bright white lights gotcha Gotcha. And, and again, I, and the, I'm, something about them, they were just I'm being beautiful. redundant here, but because there was no sound, I'm assuming you heard no sound from up above as well. There was absolutely no sound. But again, I didn't even realize it because I was looking at the lights and the lights were just, you know, to me, they just seemed so beautiful. You know, what I know about UFOs <laughs> is from Steven Spielberg and the great film, um, Close Counters of the Third Kind. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Aries 31. Continue to send it to your discretion, over. Okay, Center. Center pilot's discretion is approved. The traffic is approaching head-on, altered right, and really moving. And right by us, right now. Now, that was really close. Aries 31 is out of 340 on the traffic pass. Ask them if they want to report officially. UWA-517, do you want to report a UFO, over? <laughs> EWA-517, do you want to report a UFO? Over. Negative. We don't want to report. 
You know, the reason I play that clip is because that was a story that needs to be told. A great filmmaker told that story. Up till then, it was kind of like the 50s, um, you know, kind of like the uh, Mars attacks, you know, the uh, having fun with that whole 50s and 60s uh, <laughs> uh, spaceship movies. Uh, but we have a real filmmaker here in the studio, our own version of Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, excuse me. We have Clive Christopher. Uh, he is a filmmaker extraordinaire, and he has made the documentary again. Phoenix Lights: Confession of a Nine One One Operator. Uh, Clive, welcome to the Badge Zone. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You know, my understanding is that you, this documentary is talking to not just the operator we have here, but you've also talked to police officers. Is that right? Yes. So um, in this documentary, and he he's uh, been asked to talk. Previously, his uh, last name is Henderson. I can let that much know, uh, let that be known now. Um, but he came out um, and mentioned that he was a police sergeant in 1997 working the third shift when he saw a set of lights um, coming towards the South Mountain Range uh, at about one to two o'clock in the morning. So this was an incident that not only, you know, Beth saw, I saw it when I was 15 working at uh, Sky Harbor Airport. But this other police officer that I've come across, he saw it at a different time as well. So uh, through my experience of, of research and, you know, talking with people, being, a, you know, um, in the streets and on the ground, I've learned that uh, that night it, it was probably um, more like 12 to 13 different sightings that lasted up until about two or three in the morning. Yeah, this is a event that around the world knows the Phoenix Lights. Uh, when you think of um, Roswell, you think of all these, you know, famous UFO-type um, um, incidences. Mm -hmm. When you hear about the Phoenix Lights, it's eyewitness accounts. It, mm -hmm. It's not just one person, uh, you know, in the 50s on a dark, desolate highway that looked up and saw something. It, it, all these people are seeing this. As a filmmaker, more importantly, as a uh, um, uh, someone who's getting the facts, as a as a I want to say documentarian. Is that the right word? <laughs> that's that's the right word. Okay. Investigator, investigative filmmaker. Absolutely. Investigator Absolutely. As you're looking at the facts, have you noticed a correlation of the same kind of accounts where they basically corroborate one another? Um, so one big thing that I've noticed is uh, the difference in color of light. And I had to really step back in and, step out of the emotion of this because I saw it as a teenager. But uh, what I did learn was uh, nobody ever factored in eyesight or colors or color blindness and, and things like that. So doing research on that and learned there's like three to four different types of, of being what is called color blind. And uh, so somebody saw white. I saw blue. Some people saw yellow light. Some people saw uh, what was the, 945 which was like an orbish reddish kind of light um but one of the things that i've learned is uh the majority of people they saw five to seven lights but the colors of them are pretty consistent throughout uh, uh with speaking which each person um you know they were white blue yellowish uh red which is typically the ones that you see uh on the anniversary on the news that 9:45 to 10:30 event that's the video that Tom King I actually you know got in contact with him and been working with him and he allowed me to use his video footage but that video footage he's the one that's like hey guys we got a, uh, a extraordinary sighting here a very you know big one here and, and uh, you know over the time 
uh, it's something that people around the world, they, they're very familiar with Roswell, right? But when it comes to, to the Phoenix Lights, uh, you didn't have to see it to know that, you know, government agents, men in black, like that type of stuff was real because they were going around and, and confiscating footage and, and really interrogating people up until June, until Francis Barwood came out and, uh, you know, to the city council and said, hey, let's get some let's get some answers about this. So uh, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, we we need information. We need answers finally uh, to, to, you know, be presented because um, there was FLIR footage. They that at Luke Air Force Base actually scrambled two F-14s, and we know that uh, the the gunner cam um, they filmed it. So that's something that should be will be. I'm hoping uh, we put the request in, but you know via the the, the FOIA, the FOIA, uh, to where we can you know get that footage and show the world. Yeah, it used to be when people had these sightings. Again, it was desolate highway. You know, no one had phones and cameras capability so there was never it was just eyewitness account and then immediately there would be something in their history that would show something where okay this they would be able to discard it Mm -hmm. you know if you will the mainstream media and so forth but just recently Mm -hmm. um within this you know last year now we're in 2024 but they had congressional hearings Regarding and now they even changed the um, the nomenclature instead of UFO is what uh, UAP. UAP. Thank you. Yep. Uh, you know the aerial um, objects opposed to unidentified flying. Mm-hmm. This is they've legitimized this, mm-hmm. and then filmmakers like yourself that take this on and then talk to credible people. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a cop, a dispatcher. Mm-hmm. These and and we and again we're we're at that unidentified. We don't know what it is, but. There's more questions than answers, but certainly there's no answers that that this, that can make this something that's of this world. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean uh, that is so. You know, to categorize the the event that took place, uh, it actually started in Henderson, Nevada, at 7:50, and it almost was not called the Phoenix Lights. It was almost called the Vegas Lights. Uh, the last day, I can't exactly what day it was, but I do know the people down at Village Labs was like, hey, we got to give this a name. And it became the Phoenix Lights. But it started uh, 750 and Henderson. Then you get the another law enforcement officer around 817 in Paulden, Arizona, who saw the Phoenix Lights. The one thing about the craft is is the people that reported it was moving very slow. But there's multiple reports about seeing the craft at the same time with like 70 miles of distance between. So that's what leads me to believe that it was more than one craft. Wow. And I do think that it could have, I would say 75% would lean towards otherworldly because, uh, for example, there's a, a gentleman that I interviewed who saw it around 830 at uh Picacho Peak, I may be pronouncing that wrong. Around Tucson area. Around the Tucson area. And then you have the Kelly family in Glendale, Arizona, that reported the same thing. Wow. So it's, it's, and we, I haven't, I've talked to one person that says that they believe, and they're a credible source, that says that it, it like it was gliding, and then it zipped to another location, then it glide, and then zip to another, and then just continue that. So that's a possibility, but we don't have that type of technology to do that. 
But also, you know, it was almost more of like a, I hate to say the word invasion or something like that, but, you know, it was it, within that 8 to about 8.30, there was about seven different reports of this craft that I saw myself wasn't moving no more than 35, 40 miles an hour. If you can, put your uh, hat on as that 15-year-old mm-hmm. young man. Okay. And... I, I, I definitely want to hear what you saw, but how did it make you feel? Um, so based off of, of the close encounters of, uh, classification, this would be like a close encounter of, uh, of the first and second kind. Now, you don't have to uh, experience them in an order. You know, you could, you know, experience abduction, contact, get messages, see something, see a body. Uh, nobody reported seeing any you know, physical bodies or anything like that. So that excludes contact of the, of the third kind. But when it comes to contact of the first kind and the second kind, there were, there were definitely uh, physical effects. When it comes to me as a 15-year-old boy, you know, I'm thinking about girls, I'm making money, you know what I mean? I'm living my life. But uh, we saw it, when I originally saw it, I was on the red line bus coming out of the airport and uh, heading into downtown, I noticed it, what was strange to me, uh, that flight path. And th- I saw two lights originally. And these lights, they, they kind of look like helicopters. But to me, that was off because it had to be a serious emergency because you're in the flight path. Thank you. I was just going to go yeah. there. Yeah. You're not allowed to be. At all. It has to be. Officers, even police helicopters can't go over. Exactly. So it would have to be something like uh, the industrial park down there. Something was on fire or, or it had to be pretty serious. Um, but then, you know, within seconds, I was like, those aren't helicopters because, you know, the helicopters have uh, the wobble, the movement, you know, it it just they weren't helicopters. I could definitely tell that. So then we went over the bridge, the old Amtrak bridge. And then I think it's Washington where we made the the left. And then, you know, we shifted. But we all got off the bus and watching it as a young teenager. It, it was crazy because I was in this awe, like, Wow. You know, looking at these lights, they were like a whitish, bluish. Uh, I would say the distance in between each light, um, maybe 100, 150 feet. Okay. And we're talking about it in the air. Now, the thing about where I was, it was probably 250 to 350 feet off of the ground. It was low. And, you know, I have 2015 eyesight. So this is what made me now as an investigator made me look at, uh, uh, you know, the, the quality of eyesight because not everybody has 2020, let alone 2015. So what I saw was uh, it, it, it's almost like, uh, you know, like this water bottle. If you hold a water bottle up to this light and you can see the light through the water bottle, but you, you, there's the distortion of everything. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, um, you know, looking at that and, and it, it was just definitely something that, you know, I hadn't seen ever. And I'm, you know, we're talking about we're of the age where we had, you know, G.I. Joe. We knew about the SR-71. We knew about MASH and these secret programs and G.I. Joe. You know, those were used to as motivation to get us to join armed forces and, you know, police and military and things like that. But now, it, you know, it, it's kind of hidden from, you know, today's generation. But the moment it was gone and we got on the bus, I forgot about it that quick. It wasn't until I got up to Thomas and Central and started walking home 
And that's when, because you got to keep in mind, Phoenix is is shut down. And 97 on a Thursday, it, it you know, it's not like today. Phoenix was shut down 930, 9 o'clock easily, right? Um, so walking, and I looked south, and uh, that's when I saw more lights because you got the, the South Mountain Towers up there, right? Right. And just to the right, I saw, uh, you know, the series of, of orangish, reddish orbs that were completely different from the first set of lights. That, that was like a reminder. Oh, man. I, I, ju- I just saw that. And it was amazing how quick I had forgot about it. One, being young, but I wasn't thinking about UFOs. Once again, I was actually thinking about a girl that I <laughs> met that Saturday. So I was trying to get home to check my caller ID box to see if, you know, I, because I, I had given her my phone number. So I was like waiting for her to call. And she didn't call until like That April. is a priority. That is yeah, a priority. No, you're right. You're right. 15, 15 years old. Man, listen, <laughs> checking that caller ID box. You know, being on the phones, the house phone with the long cord, feet up on the wall, man, laying on the <laughs> ground, just talking, man. That's that's just what we did. But that's what I was honestly trying to get home to just to check that caller ID box to see if I had a, a number I didn't recognize. I can call it and hoping it was her. And um, that's when I saw it again, walking home. And it was a reminder. It, it was enough of a reminder for me to get home and then tell my grandmother about it. And, you know, my grandmother, she was, you know, she was an amputee, but she was very well connected in this city. And she's the one that, you know, as I said, I was 15 working at Sky Harbor. I was That's underage. Something. That's something. So yeah. she was the one that got me the job because, you know, pushing wheelchairs back then, it was 213 an hour, but we were making 250 bucks, $300 a night in tips. So it was something that you you, you had to take very seriously. So she got me that job, but... I explained to her what I, you know, what I had just witnessed and she came outside and uh, that's when she kind of told me about uh, a story that, you know, these UFOs, this, this, it's not real. Um, nobody's that smart enough to put this stuff in movies. They're getting it um, from real life situations and things like that. And then that's when she kind of broke down this, this story of Jimmy Carter and the, in the golden records and like all this stuff I'm putting, you know, in documentaries, man, because it, it, it needs to be known. It needs to be talked about. It, it, we're at a time now to where over the past three years, the topic of UFOs and aliens has dominated everything. Everything that you could think of in the past three years, the pandemic, whatever, the topic of UFOs, congressional hearings, bodies, this, that, it's dominated every single topic. You know, I talked a little bit at the uh, opening of the show about, you know, in the 50s and 60s, it was, you know, flying saucers. It's almost a joke in terms of the 50 movies that, that mm-hmm. would come out. And mm-hmm. then Steven Spielberg kind of took it to a whole nother level with Closer Counter, the third kind of very legitimate film about a very legitimate subject and kind of took it to another level, if you will. I think it's a whole nother paradigm shift today in terms of congressional hearings, mm-hmm. your filmmaking. Can you talk about the importance of people seeing this film and what it will say, if you will. Okay, so when it comes to confessions of a 911 operator, this is something that you're, you're when it comes to the Phoenix Lights, you're going to see two people. Uh, one is over the phone, and then, of course, Beth, who's sitting here next to me. But these are two people who, at that time, didn't want to, to come out. And I understand, like I said, uh, it, it, you know, with what we experienced with the months afterwards, 
that was enough to make you shut up, you know, and especially in law enforcement, you know, in the 90s, we're talking about uh, a brotherhood. You got a pack, you know what I mean? And credibility, man, and credibility. You, come on, it's everything. Man. It's everything. So, you know, people saw it and, and it's more than just these two. So my overall objective is for the people that watch it especially if you were in law enforcement, if you were some sort of military First government responder of any kind, any kind, yeah. I want you to feel comfortable enough in coming out because there are more and more people that are doing it here in the Valley. And I'm bringing you as a filmmaker. This is the difference in present day. I'm, I'm bringing you new people and I will continue to bring you new people that have saw the Phoenix lights or, or anything because, you know, Arizona is, it's really a hotbed. It's, it's a hotbed. And I'm surprised that a lot of filmmakers haven't talked about Arizona. I mean, we have Travis Walton, we have the Phoenix lights, we have the Kingman crash of 1953, which produced bodies, which produced a craft that may have been given to the UF, U.S. government. And we have credible evidence on that actually the kingman crash so back to your your x-files uh the kingman crash was in a book called uh his name is frank scully but the character scully comes from this book how, how funny yeah so uh he he wrote it there was uh, plenty of people that that wrote about the kingman crash right then we have uh, the Marana base, air base in, in 1952. I mean, there's so many. You, we have one that took place right on, on 16th Street in Indian School two days before Roswell that went to the newspapers. And people don't talk about it. It's known as Incident 40, the William Rhodes disc. Oh. All over the news, it's like you hear about it here in Phoenix, and then it doesn't go anywhere else after that. But oh. you hear Roswell. You'll hear Area 51 all yeah, day. Yeah, even and you mentioned the, um, the, the I'm, again, I'm a film guy, so Fire in the Sky with D.B. Sweeney, and that was that incident up north, and that was that was also a legitimate film yeah. that showed it in a legitimate light. Now, we have a trailer of the film, so please tell us where and how we can see your film at the end of this trailer, and here's that trailer. 911, what is the location of your emergency? I watched for a minute and slowly it just went over, but it was just, it was huge. Then we see the uh, arch of the lights coming over the McDonald Mountain, real slow in a formation. So we go outside and it's literally above us. It ran a formation, it ran it kind of a, like an arch. It was a V shape and I could see the tip coming over the mountains. It just kind of completely went over us. Four fighter jets took off right in front of my car, and then another one took off as my car continued, like right over my roof, and another one took off like right behind me. The pilots got scared and they returned to base and said it wasn't one of ours. The paper was sent to Washington, D.C. It was covered up and never seen by anybody. All the video of the actual craft has been confiscated. And it wasn't until it disappeared, that's when I started hearing the bugs again. Until then, there was no crickets, there was nothing. A lot of people saw it, but no one knows why, and no one can explain it. And I think that's what's so terrifying for most people, me included. 911, what is the location of your emergency? 
so right now uh, I am on. Uh, so Aliens Uncovered is the is my first series that is out. There's eight of those. I got another one coming out this February. I got two films coming out this February, including the uh, Confessions of the 911 Operator. But right now I'm on Amazon Prime. I'm on Apple TV. Um, not sure where the Confessions of the 911, not sure where that's going to land go. without a pun. Yeah. Without the pun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what they do is they treat, they treat uh, Amazon, Apple, um, even Netflix for that. They, they treat that as like your theatrical release. So that's where you go and it's, it's like pretty much like an on-demand kind of thing. Gotcha. And then you have uh, Tubi, um, Roku channel. I'm built on the Roku TV, Vizio. You're everywhere, man. I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. Love I, it. I recently, uh, I'll be on Netflix this summer. I just did a, a, a show with, with George Knapp. So, yeah, so that to hear him call me an expert, like, because I don't like the term. I don't think none of us are experts because outside of maybe Travis Walton, who <laughs> who I, I think is the true expert. Right. 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 Um, but he, you know, outside of him, he's the one person that can really. And so I don't like to use that term expert, but to hear it comes from George Knapp, you that know, means it, something. yeah, that means something. Yeah. So And he knew about my documentaries, too. So that was like that was a big. That was a shock to me, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty much everywhere, man. You can go to my website www.thealltales.com, and uh, you'll find the links to every single movie, future films, projects. There's good reads. There's you know a shop there. There's everything on there. So www.thealltales.com. Very cool. And uh, before I let you guys go, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention all your books, uh, Beth. Uh, what eleven of them? Yeah, I've got 11 published out there now. Wow. Yeah, a lot to do with dispatching. So uh, check out, uh, and you're under. Um, well, my pen name I use is Rhea Beth Compton. But I've got a bunch of comedy books out there, you know, the four books about police work. Exactly. And then. Um, yeah, I did, I think, a review on one, I think. Yeah, you like the one about the hot dog. <laughs> yeah, and the Twinkie, and the Twinkie, yeah. And the yeah, Twinkie, yeah, yeah, I gave yeah. you the Twinkie. You did, you did. Uh, Robin, uh, any closing uh, remarks? You know, it's so fascinating when you know about the Phoenix Lights. And like he was saying, there's a lot of stuff that's happened here in Arizona that people don't talk about. And, you know, going on the Native American reservations, oh. you see a lot because there's no city lights. And now where I live... Out in out in uh, the boondocks in the dark, I'm just looking forward to seeing if I see any unfamiliar life or any mm. unidentified flying objects because it really is kind of a cool thing to see, isn't it? It it, it truly. Know? And to spin off of what you said before you go, I just actually yesterday I went and interviewed a Hopi elder. I've been trying oh. to get this guy to talk for four years, and to the, the importance that it's 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 history. You know, it's like, you know, we got Sheriff Joe to talk about UFOs and things like that. But to get a Hopi elder to sit down on camera and talk, and that's coming, that's coming very soon. I'm, I'm fast tracking that. But oh. I just, so to hear you talk about, you know, reservations and native land and stuff. Yeah, that. There's a lot that goes it's on. It's a lot. They got about. a story that. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, literally, and I don't want to get too deep, but he mentioned, um, why 90% of the Grand Canyon is off limits and who actually inhabits that. Mm. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, yeah. So, so we're yeah. going to hear that in your movie? Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't, wait. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to watch it. Oh, and yeah. uh, for those uh, listening, I hope you enjoyed this show. And that was The Badge Zone.
Thanks for listening. This week's journey into the badge zone is coming to an end. But join Darren next time as we delve deeper into the zone. The badge zone.